Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode is one part of my hour-long NPR show heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, everything your dog wants you to know, as well as the Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the Foreman family-owned pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. What a treat you have in store. I already had the treat. It's Alexandra Horowitz's new book. It's called The Year of the Puppy, How Dogs Become Themselves. And it really is delicious. And I guess the thing I most love about it is how delicious Alexandra finds dogs, particularly little teeny tiny ones. Alexandra, you know what I learned about you through this book was that while Mm. you love dogs a lot and you immerse yourself in dogs as part of your profession as a dog scientist at the Dog Cognition Lab, you also love words a lot. And you just bring alive the most amazing descriptions of these puppies. And it's just, it's like rolling around in words with you. And it's just so Mm. delightful. And I I don't know if anybody else has pointed that out. But you love language the way you love dogs. And you bring dogs alive with such unique and ecstatic language. It's just a complete pleasure to read you. Uh, that's, That's really lovely to hear. Thank you. Tracy, I, I think maybe the dogs uh, inspire me to be playful, right, in yes. the way that I can. Yes, and playful is a perfect word. You you describe these, and we'll discuss about your dog, Quid, and how she came out of a litter that was one of 11 puppies, and how mm. you compare her development and growth with that of human babies, but also of purpose-bred and very carefully raised dogs at the Working Dog Center at the University of Pennsylvania. But there's just a playfulness, as you say, when you when you describe the the litter looking at this pile of puppies as being little little white sweet potatoes. It's just it cracks <laughs> it cracks you up when you read this book. There's so many ways and Quid's ears. I mean, you you're a mm. poet in the way you find to describe <laughs> her ears. I guess she when you're writing about dogs in the way that you do for your books. I'm sure professionally it's more scientific-ish. Do you kind of get lost in it? Do you just like go for it? Or do you really daven over which words to use? Oh, I think it's probably a combination uh, if I reflect on it, which is to say that uh, I write at my best, I think, when I have a lot of momentum, right? And I'm, I'm thinking about an episode or 
really getting into the details of a study, and I really love details of studies, for instance. And so I might that's a that's a complete momentum experience. But then once in a while, I will stop on a word and think there's some you know there's something better there. There's something else I could I could use there. So it's not as though it just flows out of me naturally. You know, there are there are these moments of uh, consideration, especially around word use. It's sort of, I know roughly what I want to say, but the word doesn't always spring naturally to mind. And the way I get through that is um, that I don't always get through it immediately, right? Sometimes <laughs> I, I leave the space, I move on, and then I come back and it appears. Well, that's really interesting to know. And for anyone who is a a, a, a fan of, of words and books, as well as a fan of dogs and who they are, it, it makes the process even more interesting because the book really has such a lyrical element. I, I wanted to pick out a passage for you to read to give people a sense of the, the richness and the delight that we get from, from listening or reading you. And it was really hard to decide. There were so many times where I was like, that is so cool. And something else was so funny and something else was so touching. And it's, it really does, I think, reading any of your books, and I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody knows all of your great titles, but I suppose I should rattle them off. Inside of a Dog, On Looking, Being a Dog, and Our Dogs Ourselves. And I, I know you've taught so many of us to look at dogs and experience dogs and feel for and with dogs in much more empathetic, compassionate, open-minded ways. But there's something about these piles of puppies that just, <laughs> I mean, it's just heaven. It's so great. And I never, I never thought, oh, I'd love to see a litter of puppies. I mean, I've seen litters of puppies. Some of us have been lucky enough to do that. But it's the way you describe where they find the nipple and how they find the nipple and how the mom licks them from birth until they can sort of take care of a bit of themselves that makes it it's just a, a wondrous world. And it's so great how your son throughout the book just gets such a joy from this puppy and the puppy coming and yeah. the puppy being there. And there's a sense of a, of a young man, an adolescent, getting joy in this teensy-tiny puppy that's another really great part of it, the human-animal interaction. So I, mm -hmm. I appreciate that you put that in there, although I know you're, uh, you know, careful about your husband and your son to not try to make, you know, violate their privacy or something. Although you did, yeah. as you say, finally dedicate the book to your husband. Was it really the fir first book you dedicated <laughs> to him, to Ammon? Finally, I'm yeah. like, Alexandra, yeah. really? N never before? <laughs> No, he, you know, uh, uh, at least one book and maybe two are dedicated to dogs. So to be fair, um, you know, they had a little priority in, in that respect and that they were often the subjects of the book. But I would like to point out that they were utterly unaware on any level that they had had a marvelous book dedicated to them, whereas your husband <laughs> would have been fully conscious of that. I mean, yes, better late than never, but good thing he finally got such a divine book with his name in the front of it. Maybe your son will get the next one. Because I know you don't entirely understand this, but the dogs can't read, and they don't know if they've had something dedicated to them. It's about it's about the intention, right? Yes. And, uh, you know, I think my husband does, he, he is a major part of, of my work, and insofar as he's just uh, a great other perspective, and in this case, especially on 
the puppy who I wasn't just observing as a scientist, but also living with as a person and surrounded by other people who were living with her and being able to see how they, my son and husband dealt with her was great, was, yeah. you know, very steadying, actually. Nice, because she was a challenge to you. I mean, I thought what was mm. interesting was you didn't fall right in love with this puppy, and you were very clear about that. You were mm, uh, reluctant. I don't know if that's quite the right word, but you didn't fall right in love with her, and I think that's pretty valuable to people, whether they get a brand-new, fresh-out-of-the-box the puppy or or a gently-used one in some other age. But the the fact that... Love doesn't happen instantaneously. I, I know. I think that yeah. was part of your intention was maybe to give people the sense that even you, who seems like could love any dog, you didn't fall in love with this dog right away. Did that surprise you? Yeah, and I certainly didn't have the intention going in to foreground that because I didn't think that would happen going in. Right. You know, I think I went in like a lot of people go in, just with you know completely open and with very good intentions and assuming that they're just going to automatically have the love for this dog and, and the dog will automatically join the family just as dogs have before. And just as you see outside, you know, when you step out the house and dogs are trotting along amicably next to their people, you know, it's just going to be like that. And of course it's not. And I know intellectually it's not, but um, so I was a little taken aback at, at having a reaction other than just, pure delight you know my son did feel pure delight right. at the presence of a puppy but and maybe because I you know really scrutinize dogs behavior there's another aspect to it I'm looking for things which are predictors of future behaviors right and I'm right. looking at where her personality kind of is consolidating or, or hardening and and what parts and what she's learning so I'm looking at her you know in three ways at once and um, I didn't, I was a little hesitant to put in that I, this whole thing about me, because it's not, even though I'm very keen on t discussing the dog human relationship, I didn't want it to be about me. It's not the year of me. It's the year. <laughs> but, <so> I, <laughs> that is adorable. But I thought it was more like a memoir. I mean, not that the, yeah. the clinical part isn't there and the working dogs and discussing development in very interesting ways, not at all, you know, dry or boring. There's just something near the end of the book that I just want to say really quickly that really kind of cracked me up because you, you speak in the book about how people buy a, a book that says all the right things to do with your puppy and how to raise your puppy per perfectly. And of course, Alexander Horowitz would be expected to do that, do all the right things in socialization and come out with all the right results because that's the misapprehension that we have about puppies. I certainly was horrified to find that the baby dog that I raised from birth, having read everything and, you know, wanting to do everything correctly, she became who she was. And a lot of it's not particularly pleasant or easy. You know, she doesn't like other dogs. Right. She wants to kill all of them out of the blue when she hit puberty. I've never been able to disabuse her of that. So that's a horrible feeling. And she's not even very, if someone comes near the car and tries to put their hand out, even if she knows them, it's not a good idea. And so when that happens mm -hmm. with the dog that you love and have given, you think, all the right things to, like you have with Quid, I think a lot of people have that sense of their own failure. You don't have that in the book. But I kind of had it. But this is so funny. You, you have this little list. You say, I've made a new list of what you need, all in caps, what you need to be prepared for your puppy. Are you ready? 
Do you have somewhere you can write this down? A pen? Okay, then. Here is the list. Requirements. Number one, expect that your puppy will not be who you think, nor act as you hope. That's it. That's the list. And to (laughs) me, that's kind of the joyfulness of the book. It's very true facts and, and support, but it's also, there is no checklist. There is no perfect way to do it, is there? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that part of our real pleasure in knowing the dogs that we know and come to love is that we're loving who they are. We yes. come to know them. Yes. They're not perfect. They're, 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 they're not model dogs in some sense, but then they come to be the perfect dog for you because you've known them over time and they're individuals and you have a history with them. And that is the pleasure of the relationship. It's not that they're just like the perfect product, right? right and I, so exactly. I do think it's like getting away from the idea that they're, this is, that, that, that dogs are objects to be, mm-hmm. that come in better or worse versions, right? <laughs> they're, they're people yeah. who come with their own personalities and you can do a lot with them, right? Like a sure. really good person could be made bad in a way, right? And Absolutely. a really cooperative dog could be made anxious or, or, or even aggressive, right? Yep. But that's not really... It's not about that label on them. It's about how you're going to, how you are going to be with them and how then, therefore, they will be back to you over time. That's right. And that's something that whether, I mean, you know, the idea is, okay, if you've got a puppy, this will be a great book to read. Or if you ever had a puppy, it's a great book to read. It's a really great book to read if you love dogs or you've ever loved a dog or you look forward Mm -hmm. to loving a dog in the future. It changes the way you're going to look at it. I would love you to read... Um, just the beginning of a chapter called Face First, because I think it captures the joy and the playfulness, which is a great word of yours, and the delight in language, in watching Quid with some sticks after after a storm. <laughs> okay, I'd be happy to. So this is much of the way through the book, Face First. We awaken to the aftermath of a late season hurricane, which has just brushed past us. Trees are deconstructed, their limbs torn, branches and leaves are scattered on every surface. The day smells fresh, as though each molecule of air has been swapped out for a new one. For the dogs, it is a universe to be explored by nose. Each leaf is examined with the care of an art dealer flipping through newly found Picasso sketches. Only at the end, the dogs usually let loose a declarative pee on one of the branches. (laughs) For Quid, the world has been transformed with her in mind. It is not fallen trees. It is a world made of sticks. And each stick cannot only be admired. It can be possessed, carried right away, until we immediately come across another stick, which should also be carried. (laughs) She is burdened with her choices. Which stick to carry? The one in the mouth or the one on the ground? Is it possible to carry both sticks? And what about that third stick over there? The old adage, a stick in the mouth is worth two on the ground, does not apply to the puppy. Closer might be, a stick in the mouth and two on the ground require that you try to get three sticks in the mouth. (laughs) It is a physics lesson and a math lesson all at once. She finally seems to settle on a beautiful broken birch branch, its bark peeling and mottled with lichen. As she walks off with it, I applaud her aesthetic choice, but she promptly drops it at the side of the path. Soon she grabs another, wider in her mouth than she is long, and trots a bit until carefully placing it in what I must assume is its correct place. (laughs) I 
I see what she is doing. She is redecorating the forest, one stick at a time. Quid wears everything she encounters on her beard. Tree debris, the mud, the pollen from the grasses, the river algae, the snow. Reminding me how much of what she does is face first. Of course, we are face first animals too. Our broad, hairless visages beaconing where we are headed. But dogs are deeply and truly face first. The face not only leads, it commits. To see where that chipmunk went in the tree hollow, one does not just gaze, eyeballs a safe distance from the hole, one dives in. The leaf pile, the dirt pile. For dogs, perception is wrapped up with action. One might stick a nose right up into another dog's scruff. Their personal space and greeting is not an arm's length away, but full body contact. Their enthusiasm is massive. They not only give the burrow a sidelong glance, they leap face first into the burrow. They are that one chemistry teacher you had who rubbed their hands gleefully, managing a little half jump in the air before combining combustible elements, who peeked over your shoulder as you followed directions, eyes knowingly wide. That is even better read by you than just read by my <laughs> eyes. Uh, I think for me, this book is you are that teacher. You are that teacher leading by example mm-hmm. and having a little leap and clapping your hands. And I think making us clap <laughs> our hands in a similar delight as well. I, I really I cannot thank you enough for this book. I hope it gave you as much pleasure writing it as it did in reading it. And I hope that just buckets of people get this book. It's so delightful. The Year of the Puppy. <laughs> Thank you, Tracy. It's really true, Alexandra. I mean, from the bottom of my heart. The Year of the Puppy, How Dogs Become Themselves. It will help you to understand and love not only your dogs, but maybe even yourself with our foibles more than you already <laughs> do. It's a wonderful book and uh, just well done. I'd, you just keep out doing yourself and that's terrific. And I'm glad Quid is there by your side for a long, long time. She is. She's underfoot right now. That's where she belongs. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you again, Alexandra Horowitz. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. There are a few more very special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you will support their support of my mission to entertain and educate. Merrick Pet Care, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, is still making natural pet food I feed my own dogs. They also provide nutrition to pet shelters in Chicago and Texas and free food for the service dogs for veterans from Canines for Warriors. Cradle, which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp, formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition and makes innovative foods like the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which sometimes is all that Maisie Hotchner will eat. Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this shorter version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.